0: Let's turn now together to Romans chapter 12, as we keep going through the book of Romans, through all the verses. Um, if you don't have a Bible, then you can get the black Bible that's on the end of each pew, and it should be on page 947 in that Bible. Romans 12.2 is where we'll be today, but let's read together Romans 12.1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Being not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds. I'll tell you a story that some of you know. Uh, on January tenth, 1992, there was a container ship that was on its way from Hong Kong to Tacoma, Washington, and it passed through a major storm in the North Pacific Ocean. And as part of that storm, 12 shipping containers were washed overboard. And one of those shipping containers broke open, and what came out of it was 28,800 friendly floaties, these are children's bath toys. Now, if you've heard of this story before, you probably know that a lot of them were these yellow rubber duckies. But it wasn't just the, the rubber duckies. There were also red beavers, green frogs, and blue turtles as well. And so when that container broke open and all of those bath toys came out, they were set adrift at sea. Now, if they had made their normal voyage, it would have taken about two weeks, maybe a little more depending on schedules, to get from Hong Kong to Tacoma, Washington. But instead of that two-week journey on the boat, they spent more than the next decade, maybe some of them are still out there, I don't know, but more than a decade, floating and showing up all over the world. So they were found on the shores of Hawaii first, and then Alaska they were found in Washington State, not far from their original destination. They were found in Indonesia. They were found in Chile. They were found all the way around in the Atlantic Ocean as well. Some of them washed up on the shore of New England. Some of them washed up on the shore of Great Britain. Now, when they had left, they went. when they left that ship, they went from a situation of intentional movement across the ocean to a situation of unintentional drifting. What Romans 12.2 tells us is that that's us. We're either going to be in a situation of intentional movement or we're going to be in a situation of unintentional drifting. You're either going to be intentionally transformed by the renewal of your mind, moving forward in your walk with Christ, being conformed to the image of Jesus, or when you let yourself go with that, you're going to begin drifting in conformity to this world. Maybe slowly, but drifting nonetheless. So this verse is a call to us not to drift. It says something similar in Ephesians 4.14, maybe even more explicitly about the drifting. It says, that we need to be conformed to Christ and growing in maturity in Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, we are not unchangeable. God is unchangeable. God is unmovable. But we are changeable and we're movable. No matter how strong we may think we are, no matter how settled we think we may be in our faith, we are still finite beings who are affected by what's around us and affected by what we're taking in. And we're always going to be changed and moved in some ways, whether intentionally or not. So the question that's in front of us in Romans twelve two is will you be unintentionally adrift, conformed to the world, or will you be intentionally transformed by the renewal of your mind in Christ? Now, as we come to this place in Romans... It's good to think about where we are. And as I pointed out to you guys last week, when we got to the beginning of chapter 12, this was a big turning point in the book of Romans. This is a place where the first 11 chapters of of Romans were all about the is, and now the last five chapters are all about the ought. We're moving from the indicative to the imperative, imperative, from this is how things are, according to God, to this is now what you ought to do because of that. Another way to think of it is the first 11 chapters, for those of us who are Christians, first 11 chapters have told us this is who you are in Jesus Christ, and now the last five chapters will tell you this is who you are to be as who you are in Jesus Christ. Here's what to do now. It's how he's told us the realities of, of who we are and now the realities of of what we ought to live out. He told us in verse one that part of that reality of living out our faith in Jesus is that we present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. That God doesn't just want our souls, he wants all of us. Now, bodies there is it could be seen as a shorthand for all of who you are all the time, that's true. But he kind of pointed out, hey, even what you're doing with your physical body, that, that needs to be a living sacrifice to God, knowing that, that we are waiting for the redemption of our bodies, according to Romans chapter 8. And now in verse 2, he moves on and speaks of our minds. So we see here pretty clearly, it's not just our soul but our body, but it's also not just our body but also our heart that God wants as his own And that is God's own. Not just the soul, but the body, and not just what we do on the outside, but who we are on the inside is what we're to present to God. And so the first way that he puts this is in a negative command. Don't do this. Here's what he says, don't do. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, you're looking at your Bible, right? Good. If you're looking at the ESV translation, which is the one that we have in the pews, you'll notice that there's a little footnote on the word world. And if you look down at what it says at the bottom on the footnote, it says Greek age. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of a pet peeve of mine here for a second. Okay, What is the job of a translator of a language? It's to tell you what it says, right? Now, what are we supposed to learn in the English translation of the Greek New Testament? We're supposed to find out in English words what the Greek says, right? Now, every once in a while, rather than just telling you, they'll put a footnote and say, oh, here's what the Greek actually says. So, they've told us, here's what it actually says is the word age, Now, the word world, it's not so bad. It kind of gets at the idea of how we work this out practically, right? Uh, That practically, we look around at the world around us as it is, and we see we ought not to be conformed to this. But the words that he actually used are, do not be conformed to this age. What that calls back to is the teaching of Jesus to his disciples, to the apostles of the two ages, that there is this age, and then there is the age to come. Jesus taught this in numerous places and in numerous ways, that there's this age, and then there is the age to come. The, 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 this age is the age that he spoke of in uh, in the book of, of Matthew, in Matthew 13, in the parable of the wheat and the tares, where where he shows in, in just about all of those parables in Matthew 13 that, that in this age... There's going to be a growth of the kingdom and a growth of the church, that that it's going to go from being a small mustard seed to a, to a great mustard tree. In the parable of the, the uh, this, excuse me, the parable of the, the wheat and the tares, he, he he shows it as being wheat in a wheat field that's planted and it grows up and it bears fruit and that it's growing in this age. But at the same time, in this age, growing alongside the children of the kingdom in the world are also the tares. And so there's growth in this age of the church, but there's also growth in this age of evil that is in opposition to God. This age is an age where Satan has quite a bit of rule. He is called the God of this age in Corinthians. But this age is an age that will come to an end. When God sends his angels to gather the elect from all the earth, when Christ comes with a shout of command, when he returns, when he raises the dead, when he judges both the quick and the dead, when he separates the sheep from the goats, when he separates the wheat from the tares, there will come a new age of a new heaven and a new earth. When this present world as it is is going to be purged by fire, when heaven and earth are going to come together, when we're going to live, as we'll see in Revelation 21 and 22, together in the presence of Christ in our resurrected bodies, those of us who are believers, rejoicing with him forever and ever, when when we are eating from the tree of life with its 12 fruits that it bears in 12 seasons, you know what that is? That is the age to come. That's the age where we need to have our hearts set. But for now, you know where we are? We're in this age. And he says, do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this age. Now, as believers, and he he is speaking to believers, we know that because in verse 1 he used the word brothers, so these are instructions to believers. He says that, that believers, though, uh, we're not to be conformed to this world. That's, it's interesting that we have to be told that, isn't it? Because as believers, we used to not be believers, and, and we were totally conformed to this world. You know, we, we once were lost in our sins. We once were just children of this age. It says this in Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this age. That's what we were. That's who we were. But there's good news in Galatians 1.4, which is that Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. That's amazing. Believer, when you came to faith in Jesus, when the Holy Spirit applied the gospel of Jesus Christ to your heart and made you born again, you were caused by God to become a child of the age to come. He says that, that we are now in Christ, we are now a new creation. We are already now part of that age to come, that new creation that we're going to see in full after Jesus has returned. It's amazing. And yet at the same time, we're still here, aren't we? And we're still in this body of death, not the resurrected body yet, but the body of death, and we still wake up with that old self plaguing us, and we still have those temptations all around us, and we still have in front of us those things that are normal for the world to have its mind set on. The things of the people of this age want that are passing away, things like the urges and appetites of our bodies, things like growing our bank accounts, things like gaining power, things like being recognized and celebrated by other people, that's the kind of stuff of this age that is passing away. And so if we're not going to have our minds, or excuse me, if we're going to have our minds renewed and not conformed to this world, well, where are our minds going to be? On something other than that stuff of this age that's passing away. You see that? We're tempted every day to just get back in that mindset of, well, this is what everybody does. This is what everybody thinks about. And some people, when they read this, they, you might think to yourself, well, do not be conformed to this world. Well, that, that's a great passage about how we ought not to, to latch on to the sexual revolutions and all of the other kinds of revolutions and the obvious evil things out there in the world. And i got to say, yeah, amen to that. Don't latch on to those things. But just thinking about where we are as a church, and I don't think you guys are latching on to that, thank God. Praise God for that. And yet, still, there's going to be a pull and a temptation for us to be conformed to the world. And you could say to yourself, well, because I'm not latching on to to the worldly moral revolutions that are outside, because I'm not out there in the, the rainbow parades and all that stuff, well, I'm not being conformed to the world. When in fact, your mind just may be constantly on your bank account. That's conformity to the world right there. Setting your heart on the things that are passing away. Now, don't get me wrong. Use your bank account wisely for the glory of God. Steward the things that he's given you in this world rightly, but not for the purpose of this world, for the purpose of the glory of God. You see the difference there? Where, where is our mind in all of this? Where is our mind? It is normal, it is drifting to be conformed to the world. In fact, it's possible that you could even go about your life in a way that is religious on the outside, but that's worldly conformed on the inside. I, I listed a few things there that... That you could do in worldly conformity, well, you could even go to church for those worldly purposes. Could you go to church for the purpose of fulfilling urges and appetites of your body? Sadly, yes. And some very, very sad cases of that over the decades and centuries. Could you go to church for the purpose of growing your bank account? Sadly, yes. We're warned over and over about false teachers who would do that but also people within the pews who would maybe view their church relationships toward the end of growing their bank accounts. Could you go to church with the view of gaining power? Absolutely. With the view of of being recognized and celebrated by other people? Of course. So guys, it's not just saying here, hey, be in church instead of at the pride parade. It's saying you need to have your way of thinking brought out of that worldly mindset of focusing on these worldly things that pass away. And instead, you need to be transformed by the renewal of your minds. 1 John 2.15 puts it this way, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possession... Is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Guys, believers, you've already become a new creation in Christ, but we also have to make sure that we're looking to not be conformed to the world, but as Peter puts it, to be obedient children, not conformed to the passions of your former ignorance the passions of your former ignorance. So what what do we do here? Well, when it says do not be conformed to the world, let me, start, let me start with the kids, okay? Kids, don't let the stuff that other kids think about be what you think about. Well, what about teenagers? Teenagers, don't let the stuff that other teenagers think about be what you think about you know what's funny that 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 worldly teenagers think about all the time how not to conform (laughs) isn't that great it says do not be conformed to this world and 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 sometimes there's you know there's something in each of our hearts that really really comes out in that that one period of life especially where you're just like yeah i'm a non-conformist but so is everybody i mean how conformist is that I heard, a, it was actually a guy in a Christian band I, I heard a couple years ago say, hey, the, the real rebellion is faithfulness. Nobody's doing that. Being transformed in the image of Christ, that's what's going to stand out as a rebel in this culture. Teenagers or anybody else. All right, Adults. Don't let the stuff that other adults think about be what you think about. Grandparents. Don't let the stuff that other grandparents out in this world think about be what you think about. Set your minds on the things of the Lord rather than on worldly things. So that gets us to what it says next. Not just don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now you hear that? He's getting here at the mind. The mind. Now the mind here, probably just a summary word for what other parts of the Bible would call the heart. The heart in the scriptures is not, I mean, every once in a while it's talking about the physical organ in your chest, but usually when the Bible talks about the heart, it's talking about who you are on the inside. All of who you are on the inside. Having to do with your will, what it is that you want to do and don't want to do. Having to do with your affections, what you love, what you hate, what you're indifferent about all of the emotions that are wrapped up in all of those things, having to do with your mind, with the thoughts of your mind, whether those thoughts, when we, that's, that's what we're, we're getting at here, is, is the mind, the thoughts. Those thoughts could be things that have an intentional purpose to them. With your mind, you, you think really, really hard about some things on purpose, You're using your mind when you get out a math textbook and learn differential equations. That takes a lot of mind work. Your mind is also just, hey, where do you drift off to? Where do your unintentional thoughts go? Where do you let your mind go when you see something beautiful? Where do you let your mind go when you... Just want to relax. Sometimes it can be a pretty ugly place. But when we say we need to be renewed in our minds, this reminds us of what it says in Proverbs 23.7. My mother used to quote this to me in the King James all the time, so that's how I remember it. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You may say to yourself, well, I'm I'm a good person. let's look at your heart look at your thoughts let's look at where that goes that's what God's already doing it says in first Samuel sixteen seven, man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart I heard not long ago that there there was somebody some company developing uh, a new artificial intelligence technology that they could put nodes onto a person's head and train it for a little while and then, based on the brain waves that the nodes are picking up, combined with AI uh, software, be able to get a pretty good guess of what that person is thinking about. That's kind of scary, isn't it? What, what, what if what if we came in here next week, and I told you the church was given free of charge this beautiful new technology that is really going to help us shepherd each of your souls? And so what we're going to do with you today is we're going to, one at a time, bring you up here and put you in this chair right here, and we're going to put these nodes on your head, and just for 10 minutes, we'll put your thoughts up on that screen. What would you think about that? Or how about this? I I bet you would train your thoughts pretty hard in those 10 minutes, wouldn't you? (laughs) What if we said, hey, we even have a technology to replay your thoughts from this morning. Or from yesterday. Oh guys, do you see our deep need of forgiveness and grace from the blood of Jesus in that? God knows our thoughts. And even the the most outwardly perfect person that you can imagine, if we were to put their thoughts up on that screen... You would see very quickly that they are damnable thoughts. But Jesus is the one who came and was condemned in our place. As if you want to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, there is one and only one place to start, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there's no amount of self help and positive thinking and work at changing your mind. There is no amount of that that is going to cover up the sin of your thoughts that are laid bare before the God who is the judge of all the earth. But Jesus could do it. And when he died on the cross, for all of those that he had planned from before the foundation of the world to take their sins on himself, for all who would ever come to believe in him, he took even the deepest, ugliest thoughts of our minds. And they were counted as his thoughts. And all of the ugly words of our mouths and all of the ugly actions of our bodies, they were counted as his words and his actions. And he suffered the full wrath of the Father on the cross for the sins of our minds. Amazing. And all of them. So that they could be put away, not counted as ours, paid for in full, thrown away as far as the the east is from the west from us, remembered no more in God's sight. It is amazing what God has done for us at the cross. So if you don't trust in Jesus today, if you think that you could still manage somehow to be a good enough person before God, consider your mind and consider that you absolutely have no chance at heaven apart from coming to faith in Jesus alone to pay for your sins. And believer, trust that Jesus has already paid for the sins of your mind. He already has done it. The renewal of your mind began the moment that you came to faith in Jesus, the moment you were converted, born again. He gave you a newness of mind. That's part of what repentance is, by the way. The basic meaning of the word repent is to change your mind. You know who changes your mind to begin with? The Holy Spirit makes you born again. He gives you a new heart. Amazing what he can do. So we have been renewed in our minds as believers, but we're also told to keep on being renewed in our minds. We went from this position where once we were given up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done, that was Romans chapter 1, verse 28, to now being given over to have the mind of Christ. We we were once in a position, according to Romans 8, 7, where, where we had a mind that was set on the flesh that does not submit to God, indeed it cannot. And yet he swept in, to us who would not and could not submit to God in our minds and gave us grace and gave us a new heart, took out that unbelieving heart, gave us the heart of flesh. You must be born again. That's the most critical step. But guys, now that we have been born again, let's do what 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that's the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. So we've been converted, but we need to be sanctified. Our mind has been changed, and it needs to keep on being renewed. We need a change of heart, not just a change of behavior. We need to understand properly. We must have our thinking transformed We need to have our affections and our emotions and our loves and our hates and our indifference. We need all of that to be transformed. You need your will to be transformed. God has done it, and he's going to keep on doing it as we are renewed in our minds. Now, if you assume, Christian, if you assume that you've already been transformed enough, Yeah, these other Christians in here, I see all the ways that their minds need to be transformed. Yeah. But me, I got this. If you assume that you are in that higher position, first of all, drop to your knees and repent of that ugly pride and arrogance that you have towards your fellow believers. It shows that you are far behind, many of them, spiritually. But you also need to know that here's what's going to happen to you if you assume that. If you assume that you've already been transformed enough, You're going to start drifting like the friendly floaties. When you assume I've already had my mind renewed enough, well, you're going to jump off of that steady, get there in two weeks container ship and start floating for 10 years to Great Britain. You're going to be not renewed in your mind any longer, but start moving in conformity to the world. Every day that you're not intentionally being transformed by the renewal of your mind, you are unintentionally being conformed to this world. It's just how we are in the weakness of our flesh. You will be one or the other, transformed or conformed. So here's a question. How do you do it? How do you be transformed In the renewal of your minds? Well, for one thing, it's a passive word there. To be transformed means somebody else is doing the transforming. It's what we call in the Bible a divine passive. It's implied that the one who's transforming us is God. And so realize God is the only one who can ultimately transform you. You need God to do the work of making you more and more into the likeness of Jesus but also he has given us ways to do it. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that you and I by our by our own strength are going to transform ourselves, but it does mean that God has given us what we call means of grace. All right. Now the reason we call these means of grace, means 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 here's a way that you get something done. Okay? Grace means a free gift. So what it's saying is, here is the way that you receive the free gift of ongoing transformation. You step into these things that God has showed us will result by his grace in the renewal of your mind. What are those things? Primarily, the word of God, prayer, and then the reformers would say the sacraments, but by that basically mean the, the, the intimate fellowship and accountability of the church. Right? But let me focus on one thing in particular that, that is probably going to be the number one most effective means of God's grace in renewing your mind. And that is the means of meditation on Scripture. Meditation on Scripture. Now, when I say meditation, where a lot of people's heads go is getting into the lotus position and... <laughs> emptying your mind of all thoughts you know what that is that is paganism okay so so when the world out there tells you meditation is good for your soul don't be conformed to this world because what they're talking about is emptying your mind which then becomes a playground of activity for the devil and all kinds of worldly influences don't do that kind of meditation that's evil But the Bible does call us to do meditation upon the Word of God. That's not an emptying of our minds. It's a filling and renewal and transformation of our minds with the Word of God. Now, you may say to yourself, well, I read the Bible every day. And every day, I walk away and say, boy, I read those four chapters, but I just don't feel that different. Now, first of all, I'm going to guess that I'm probably using a little bit of an extreme example, because if you're reading four chapters of the, day, of the Bible every day, I'm mean, going to guess you're not walking away and feeling like you're not that different or like it doesn't matter. But I do, I, you know, as a pastor, people will, will sometimes come to me, and I have this feeling often myself, where you can read a big chunk of Scripture, maybe a chapter, maybe multiple chapters, and you can get done and you can say, I don't know why God had me read that today. I don't know what I got out of that. And you may say to yourself, well, for, for one thing, don't give up on it just because of that. Because he may have given you something that you're going to tuck away that he knows you're going to need it in two weeks. Okay? Or in two years. So don't give up on that. But here's what I want to encourage you to do, is that after you're reading, meditate on a particular part of that scripture. Now, you have your bulletins, right? In your bulletin today, get out your bulletin, if you don't have it. See, we've got this insert. It's it's got the Reformation hymn that we sung earlier on one side. And then on the other side, this is a sheet from Don Whitney, who is a uh, professor of biblical spirituality at Southern Seminary in Kentucky. This is something that's free on his website. He's got a lot of good good resources like this, free on his website. But it's called Methods of Meditation on Scripture. And let me just, I'll read the beginning of it for you. It says, begin by selecting a passage for meditation from your time of reading God's Word. First of all, if you don't have a time of reading God's Word, then why in the world would you think that you're going to be renewed in your mind that day? If you don't have a time in God's Word, then you can pretty well expect that you're going to be drifting a little bit more into worldly conformity that day. So start with time in God's Word, but that in that, choose a verse or a phrase that attracted your attention, or a theme verse, or a key verse from the passage. Now, if you're a regular Bible reader, you know that even on those days when you say, I don't know why God had me read this today, there's probably something in there that as you ran across it, you went, oh, I probably ought to think about that more. Well, why don't you do that? That's what we're saying. You, you can go back to that spot and, and you can begin to meditate on it. And it, it, what does that look like? Well, it, it could look a little different for any person depending on exactly how you think and what's going to connect with you. But, but the very first one is probably the easiest to put to work right away if you've never tried this before emphasize different words in the text. And he gives this example of John 2.5, a phrase in there says, whatever he says to you, do it. That's a great phrase to meditate on, isn't it? Whatever he says to you, do it. And you you can begin and say, okay, what's the first word? Whatever. Let's think about that. You mean absolutely anything that God says to me? Yeah. See what you're doing? You're meditating on God's word right there, just in the word whatever. Whatever he says to you, Oh, it's whatever God says to me. Not just whatever random advice I happen to get. It's whatever God has said in his word. Whatever he says to you, God has spoken. What a gracious thing for God to have actually said this. Whatever he says to you, even more gracious, he said it to me. God's instructions are personal to me. Whatever he says to you, do it. Oh, I need to actually live this out. Let me consider and pray how I can do something that God has said in his word that I saw today. Whatever he says to you, do it. Not just do some well-intentioned thing, but do it. Do the thing that he said. You see what you're, you're, you're doing here? You can do this with really any passage in Scripture is just go through and Think hard about each word. Emphasize it. What you're doing is you're meditating on Scripture. The other one of my favorites in here is number nine. Pray through the text. Just take that verse and return it back to God in prayer, which is something that, that I hope would be a regular practice as, as part of our Bible reading all the time anyway. And then there's, there's uh, you know, 17 full suggestions in here of, of ways to meditate on Scripture, and you could probably come up with more as well. But I just want to leave this with you as something that, if you're wondering, what do I actually do to have my thinking, my mind renewed, and not to be conformed to the world, but renewed by the, the transformed by the renewal of my mind, well, this is the primary place where it's going to happen. You can think of this like, like a, a river of clean water that's set right in front of you. And every day we've slept in the dirt, and we wake up, and whether we're thinking about it or not, we need to get cleaned up. And, and you can step down into that river. And you're not cleaning yourself. The, the river's got a great current. It's going to clean you up. But you've got to step down into it. That, that's the grace of God that he puts in front of us, that cleansing grace to transform us in the renewal of our minds. And those steps down there are the means of grace. Like meditating on the scriptures and he will do a mighty work in our hearts in our minds and transforming us into the likeness of Jesus as we do that the way that he ends this verse is he says so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is the good uh, what is good and acceptable and perfect now just to know the the words uh, by testing discern Um, That's translating all one word in Greek. So you may come across different translations that instead instead of saying discern by testing, they may say prove or may say approve. And it's kind of getting at that idea, hey, you, you want to experience what it is to live out the will of God. This is not talking about living out the will of God in terms of, of getting some kind of a secret spiritual revelation from God by way of signs and wonders of exactly what he plans for your future so that you can make the perfect decision to jump into the will of his God, uh, into the perfect center of the will of God uh, in, in what job you pick. That, that's not the kind of will of God that this is talking about. This is saying that, that knowing the will of God is both much simpler and much harder than that kind of stuff. All right, so if you've, got a, if you've got a mindset, I need to know God's will, I'm going to go outside and look up and see how many birds I can count, and that's going to give me an indication of, of exactly uh, you know, which zip code he wants me to move to. That's n- No, no. That is testing God. That's evil. That's like witchcraft. Don't do that stuff. All right? But what you can do is you can go to the Word of God, you can train your mind to understand what God has commanded us. And you can live it out and test it and see, and and through growing in your spiritual maturity, be able to do what it says in Hebrews 5.14, to become mature, to become one of those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Isn't it funny how so many people think that they already know exactly what's right and what's wrong? If you go and talk to any given lost person, we do this all the time in Keyport, people will tell you all the time that they're a good person. They already, you know, I already know what's good and what's bad, and I do what's good. Well, then we come to faith in Christ and we kind of have a revolution of understanding, I was a bad person all along. But then we grow in Christ, and as we grow in Christ, we come to a more and more of an understanding. Hey, even when I was a younger Christian, I was getting a lot of stuff wrong. It kind of makes you wonder, am I still getting some stuff wrong? Am I still not quite all the way there in knowing the difference between good and evil? Am I still not quite all the way there, even just in the basics of what is right for me to do before the Lord and what is wrong for me to do before the Lord? Probably not. You're probably not all the way there. And, and we have to, by constant practice, discern what is the will of God. By testing discern, that's a good translation. What is the will of God? Here's what the will of God is. It's what's good and acceptable and perfect. It is what is good, morally good in God's sight, but also what he's going to use for our good. It's what is acceptable before God. It's what's perfect, not lacking anything, complete in God's sight. But even Christians often will think to themselves, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been around church a long time, so obviously I know what the rules are. I'm good. (laughs) And then they'll do things like a, a faithful Presbyterian pastor friend of mine told me recently that he had a church member who told him that he was going to go do Vegas for the glory of God. (laughs) Or you'll get Christians who will gossip and say, it's okay for me to say these things that tear down my brothers and sisters in Christ because they're true. You don't know what the will of God is. Or you'll get Christians who think that they're doing God a favor by inventing new ways to worship him when he's already said exactly how he wants to be worshipped. Or you'll get Christians who think they're doing God a favor by breaking a few eggs to make an omelet. That pragmatism of saying, well, if I, if I can could get a good outcome, then it's going to be pleasing to God however I get there. Those Christians who are disrespectful to the authorities that God has put in their lives And that's plainly taught against in the fifth commandment. All kinds of ways that we as Christians can betray. Hey, hey, wait a second! I I don't quite yet know even the basics of the will of God in His commands for me. I still need to be trained. And how are we going to be trained? Well, we're going to be trained by that intentional transformation of the renewal of your minds. If you just think to yourself, "I already get it," you're going to start drifting. And you're going to start doing things that are not good and acceptable and perfect before God. It's not going to stay in your mind either. It's going to go into your life. So what does all this come down to? We have to be transformed in our minds by the Holy Spirit through the work of Christ given to us, applied to us, and handed to us on a platter in His Word that we can meditate on and conform our thinking to what he has said. Here's one of the things that it says in Philippians 4.8. If you want to know, well, how should I be thinking then? What does a transformed mind look like? Well, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Understand the will of God, agree with the will of God, delight in the will of God, and do the will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, giving us your word that is is so rich and so plain also. I pray that you would help us as we uh, meditate on Scripture and as we go about the other means of grace with prayer and with the accountability of the church. I pray that you would grant us not to be unintentionally drifting into conformity with this world, but to be intentionally renewed and transformed by the renewal of our minds. Thank you that you've done this work in converting us to faith in Jesus. I pray that you would do that work of conversion for those who don't trust Jesus yet. I pray that you would forgive them of the the thoughts of their minds and the, the words of their mouths and the actions of their bodies. Lord, Jesus died to forgive sinners like us, I pray that they would receive that free gift of eternal life by faith in him. And for us who've received it, you've made us new, but I pray that you'd keep on making us new in sanctification by the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.